Let's give you those couple seconds. There we go. We are live and we're ready for another episode. All right, everybody. So uh, welcome everyone to another episode of Notes from the Aleph. And Aleph is a high point from which all things are visible. And from our vantage point, we'll be looking at tabletop role-playing games, their design, and the theory behind those designs. Around here, our motto is to be fair, build up, and have fun. I'm your host, Griffin, joined by our editor, Theta, our local designer, Norman Rafferty, and our good friend and GM, Red Rabbit. When it comes to tabletop games, I have 15 years of experience running, playing, and frequently fixing programmatic rule sets at the table. My pronouns are he, him, and they, them. Rafferty, let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm Norman Rafferty. Uh, yes, I come from a long line of... Actually, no, I don't. Uh, I used to work for uh, print magazines, and then I started making... Um, books and now i make video games and card games and stuff i work mostly for sanguinegames.com and red and i'm red rabbit um three-year professional game master uh lover of tabletop games and um I'm, I'm gonna say after these conversations a uh an aspiring game designer or at least yeah. a game design theologian that's the spirit <laughs> all right pc's yep. to the door so, uh, let's go ahead and get started, uh, and I got more story time. So, uh, I once had a GM that uh, I'm going to call Joey, and Joey is the worst GM to ever exist. And uh, if there's something awful a person can do as a GM to win and make it a miserable experience for everyone, he did it. So, me and my local friends all had the misfortune of being introduced to the Battletech RPG system by him, and... Um, the game, as I've come to understand it, is loosely held together by duct tape to begin with, but he intended to run it as a one-shot scenario where we would all play some simple life mechs uh, up against a couple super heavy giants that could literally squish us in, as an action. Uh, to top it off, he decided to throw in a custom mech of his own devising on his on our side, uh, some sort of Black Knight type with a power axe and way too much speed, just to additionally show us up while we had to choose between doing nothing from a distance or closing distance and being destroyed. Now, while I know at least uh, one of us would like to say mean things about Battletech, there's technically no rule saying you can't put your players up against impossible scenarios or craft your own personal NPCs or just make your players miserable for your own amusement. While none of that is written down as a rule, it's clear this is unacceptable behavior. Today, we're going to look at the ways we can design games to guide players and DMs towards constructive behaviors without needing to create a rule for everything and what those sorts of behaviors are. How's that? Well, I, I want to flip around some of this in saying that, okay, it's a given that a GM will read the rule, oh, sorry, read the room and know what to do and what not. But one thing I really want to talk about is um, that is also true for the players. This is a big issue I have where, yes, you'll have killer uh, DMs who will go ahead and do all that stuff for you. But um, to flip this around, uh, there's nothing in Dungeons & Dragons that says I can't make an evil warlock who kills babies for power. In fact, according to the yep. rules, just write that down. There's no warning paragraphs whatsoever on writing evil. Uh, in fact, mm -hmm. if I pick half-orc, I'm automatically assumed to be evil. Sure, why not? Uh, so, um, there's lots of things that show up, uh, in the game, uh, as, as stuff presented, not just for game masters, but also for players that would be inappropriate for many groups or might just be inappropriate for your specific group. But now we're into one of the problems where, uh, the rulebook as enabler, when, when we sat down to play a fantasy game, say, Hey, we're going to go ahead and play a game and say, okay, I want to be Batman. 
you would turn to me and first you would say, well, you can't be Batman. You could be someone who's like Batman. Consider playing a rogue. Bring your points here. So, no, Batman! Tony Bruce Wayne! Okay, <laughs> then you could say, well, no, you can't do that because we're playing Dungeons & Dragons today, which is a fantasy game, not a science fiction superhero game. And then we would look at the book, go through and find something that would be more amenable because the book is what we agreed on what we're doing today. Now, I'm using extreme example, but like I also said, what if some I've had situations where you show up at the table and someone wrote up an chaotic evil character? And, oh, uh, no. you, yeah, and you can tell them, no, you're not allowed to do that. But where did they come up with the idea to write the words chaotic evil next to each other? Oh, just look the, at the book right here. It says, I can be evil. It's one of my alignment choices. I can be a dick as much as I want. The book put that idea in their heads. They tried to get rid of it in 4th edition D&D, and people complained so much that they had to put it back, which I guess means someone's doing it, or they're just... Because they wouldn't just be taking money and putting stuff in the books they expect no one to use. That would be really silly, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. So, uh, right. So so part of this has also been that uh, it's way too easy to blame that the good game master uh, uh, or, or, or change a miserable time. There are some things that player should be expected to do uh, in the group that they're in. And it will vary from group to group that you should be able to read the room. We're, we spent a lot of time blaming rule books. We spent a lot of time play, blaming game masters. And I've been a big defender of player behavior. And we just did a podcast of like saying, like, I, you know, complaining about minimaxers where I'm defending them. But I would also agree, here's the opposite. There are, I think we... We need to stop blaming the putting everything on the freaking GM and sure they do everything better. What is a problem player? And, and you know, and uh, what is a problem player? What are problems and what aren't problems for different groups? And what should we do about it? That's that. That's what I wanted to say. With right, and and I think like maybe the first and obvious like point to go to is that you know this is a game that people sit down to play together. There's sort of the implicit understanding that you are playing this together. You're going to be a group. You probably aren't going to antagonize each other and ruin each other's time. And you will work together to try to solve the problem. And that's kind of like always like the the that's what some people might call like the social contract of the game, I suppose. Most people are kind of just down with that in general, but people now, now, break you that guys are young. Down. Okay, you guys are younger than me and less jaded than I am. Is there a game of that course. actually says that? There is not, I don't believe. I mean, I'm sure there might be, but I can point to several games that say the opposite. Mm-hmm. Now is it really? But I bring it up because this is sort of like the thing that normally surrounds a game, but is not usually typically stated out loud because it's an implicit understanding rather than something anyone actually wrote down. Uh, I don't agree it's an implicit understanding. That that is possible, too. Some people come to the table and do not implicitly understand it is a game that they are supposed to work together with people and not antagonize each other. Uh, I have seen so many cobble jokes these last few years. Mm. Ah. Um. I, I always thought that there was something interesting um, about a, a game like, well, about these games, because I feel like they attract, or maybe historically, not so much anymore, but I feel like historically they attracted nerds like myself to them. Um, <laughs> historically speaking, anyway, a group of individuals who were famously very bad at socializing and social interaction, and yet I feel like these <laughs> games require more social intelligence than any other form of entertainment that exists today as far as you know well 
at least in terms of like published game <laughs> encounters. So, well, um, yes, it's, it's, since you're doing free farm, in fact, I'm glad you phrased it that way. The thing I've been talking about when I when I've been talking about the stream stuff, like mm-hmm. the dimension uh, mm-hmm. and you know farming quests and that kind of jazz, is those are actors. Yeah. So I'm not sure I would call what they have social intelligence, but they've been trained as actors. So like they know how to take direction, uh, how to be pleasant about it, uh, how to, how to build, how to improv. Yeah. Uh, so, so, you know, they, they've had training and intelligence in how to behave in a situation when they're told to be someone they're not and presented with a situation, not only how to pretend to be something else, but also how not to ruin it for everyone else. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, like ham actors or actors with ego problems are the butts of jokes. Good actors know that we're supposed to be an ensemble and we're supposed to be, you know, each of us gets our spotlight scenes. We need to make sure everyone is getting presentation, having a good time to make the whole better. And that's one thing I've been complaining about with the, with those performative games is those people have been, like you just said, the the tabletop game shows up they throw out this they tell the players build whatever you want then they have a how to game master chapter we must go back to ancient greece under which doesn't <laughs> which often talks to the gms like they already know what they're doing and also like they have perfect well-behaved players mm-hmm. uh, but, but there's nothing in the book that tells the player don't be an asshole yep and, and I there think, are uh, several things that tell them to be yeah, and I think a... Spotlight is maybe like a really good example here, actually, because, you know, uh, it's something like I try to be very conscious of where I go, wait a second, I'm the one driving most of this action and taking most of the screen time. I'm being unfair to other players at the table. Yeah. They need time to actually play the game and enjoy unless they happen to be the type that just enjoys watching people, which, you know happens but i i will try to seed ground to other people but there's nothing in any book that says when you're just chatting with people to seed time to others or give them a chance to do something the only time that's formalized is when initiative happens and you get a turn you get this many actions and then you get a turn and get this many actions because that's something i want to squeeze in real quick when we started making at sanguine we started making power by the apocalypse games uh, I was asking other people who played these kinds of games, how do you deal, like, like Power by the Apocalypse doesn't have an initiative. Anyone who shouts out gets a turn. And many of the examples of play, there's one example of play in the Apocalypse World core book where one player uses their sexual dominance to make another player character do what they want. And they take three roll, die rolls in a row before the other person's even allowed to respond. This very healthy environment. Yeah, this is presented as an example of play that someone would just run up and shout three roles and just do them. I'm not saying people can't do that, but that's why I said just because you can doesn't mean you should. I'm sitting here thinking like if the other person was new to gaming or sort of uncomfortable or, or you were a friend of a friend and stranger, that might be extremely uncomfortable to somebody to have someone run up to you, shout a bunch of rules at you and said, now you have to do what I say. Um, you know, like, and there's no discussion that this might be, you know, this is presented as something that's supposed to happen, that other people can run up to you, shout rules at you, and then make your character do their bidding. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, maybe that's appropriate for some groups, but that, that was just a big yikes from us. And in only in recent years have these games been examining that kind of yikes behavior of, um, you know, uh, we, we should be cognizant of other people's boundaries. 
Right, and um, I, I think like mind control there is like actually another great example because that's an ability that appears pretty frequently in most games because it's cool and exciting, especially when you do it to NPCs and you get to feel powerful, but not a whole lot of guidance about using it on others, or rather, don't do that yeah. because it's a bad idea, or maybe even as a GM using it on your players because they'll have no fun at all. And I think it's only recently the 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons came around and said when they stop being friendly from Charm Person, they dislike you for that. Yeah, mind control is uh, serious business. <laughs> and in a world where oh. it exists, people take it very seriously. Right, so I'm when you have talking... like, these powers that definitely cross social boundaries and then no guidance at all, of course, you're setting no. yourself up for a creep fest. I'm just talking about the persuasion ability when mm. you make a roll. This isn't mind control stuff. Yeah. Um, but but it's um uh um okay like this is a question I want to put out here because I have I have gotten pushback on this as in people have told me I'm absolutely wrong. Do play when players make their character, do their characters have any obligation to be designed to want to hang out with the other members of the party? Hmm. Ah, uh, the classic never split the party. Okay, well I'll I'll say this. Um I'm gonna say that yes, because I do think that um there is if you're running a game you've got a lot of things to be concerned about and it's it's added mm, giving them also the problem to solve of convincing a player character to stay with the party is is something that i think is uh, it's kind of a social contract thing i think it goes back to what we're talking about but what do you think uh so yeah so we we do have our example uh person here theta who will frequently you know go out and do their own thing and i think that's good and fun and i'm glad that they have lots of fun but if i'm like the gm of that i'm suddenly have to torn between two things where i say uh, all right here's the thing that's happening and then that's not what we're asking oh we're it's not. Explaining the party we're saying like do the players have an obligation like a better example would okay, be that they get along like if one mm. player is playing a thief character decides to be obnoxious and steal stuff or berate mm. other N uh, npcs or this sort of thing Oh yeah, you know. Like in other words, should players have any obligation to roleplay their characters as people who would want to hang out with each other and recognize that anything they do might blow back on the entire party or make other characters uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't want to derail this, but I think that's interesting. There's a they made a, an alien RPG recently that I played in. We and, played too. It's great. Oh yeah, it's really cool, right? In there, there's language where it's like, hey. There are there can be um, antagonists within a party, people that are acting at cross purposes who betray the party. But it's like when this happens, there's a moment that you get to role play that's really fun. And after that moment, you understand your your character is no longer a part of the party. They're an antagonist. You lose them. It's as if they died, basically. So I think that's interesting. That's kind of how I would approach it. Like, yeah, in it is terms a question of... on who who the focus is on. Is it going to be on the person that everyone's not getting along with, or is it going to be on the majority of players? Yeah, because uh, uh, yeah. but the game is a, but once again, this gets back into like really talking about social contract. The game's upfront about that. The game tells you expect betrayal. Like yeah, for yeah, example, yeah. The, earth, the big example of this is the paranoia role playing. Paranoia role playing game says you are all going to betray you. Yeah. But 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 the huge issue I have with this is like for example in a typical Dungeons and Dragons scenario the tyrant queen, we're supposed to be a bunch of random wandering adventurers and then we're a band of people who then get involved in a series of events in a real fantasy world okay you wouldn't be obligated to hang out with a bunch of people you didn't get along with yeah 
Like, like you could just wander away. I'm always jealous of MMOs because if I don't like the people I partied up with in MMO, I can leave and go join a different party yeah. or a freaking solo. I mean, that, that's the important distinction, though, right? Because these are games you can't, I mean, you can't play by yourself. I'm sure you could, but generally speaking, the the conceit is you're not playing by yourself. I agree that I think you should be able to present a, a party dynamic where the characters in a party don't get along or even act at cross purposes some of the time. But the players need to. Like, that's where I draw the line. Personally, when I'm running games with strangers, I say, like, your characters don't have to like each other, but the players have to respect one another. And if at any point someone starts feeling like it's getting personal, then we have to sit down and just stop and talk about it. Well, I would agree with you there, but what I'm also getting at is if, if the group didn't have a reason to be a group, they wouldn't be a group. Yeah, if they you need had that. someone in your group that you thought was a liability, you yeah. would ditch them. Yeah, exactly. And, and so players can't show up with any character they want because you might have somebody who's a good friend and you would hang out with, but they show up and they saw these jokes that they saw on the internet about you know cobbled being chaotic or something else they saw you know or acquisitions incorporated which has some dubious stuff and you know and they saw that's what role playing is mm-hmm. so they showed they up and like... built for lack of a better word a griefer character mm-hmm. and then when they're in the game they're doing stuff like murdering shopkeeps uh or getting foul intents laws or setting off traps on purpose because they want to see what happens and they're not reading the room correctly to understand that uh, what they're doing in their behavior is not what the rest of the party might want. Th- mm-hmm. This, once again, could be you like this guy, you like seeing movies with them, you, you like hanging out with them. But the way they play in the game is they're putting the other party at risk or making the party use up resources or annoying people who wanted to use stuff for other things. Or, or derailing the plot in a way no one else wants. They're doing antisocial type things in the party. But yeah. everyone lets them come along because they like this person in reality. And the thing I'm disputing here, that people are allowed to make and play any character they want. Ah. Mm-hmm. Right, we'll because, <laughs> because there are there are constraints. You do are painting within a frame, and that frame is usually constructed first by the game, and then by the people who are sitting around playing with you. Like D&D, like in the early days of like D&D and the computer game wizardry and stuff, they would say good characters and evil characters aren't allowed to hang out together. So when yeah. you made a choice of good, neutral, or evil, your party was either going to be a bunch of neutral and evil people or a bunch of good, neutral people. Now alignment serves no purpose at all, and people do whatever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. So you can't even use that as a guideline. It's like, you know, we, we can have paladins mixing with assassins. And so, uh, you know, there's no compass at all. Right. And I I think maybe that is a little bit of uh, maybe the designers trying to go back to uh, reinforcing their statement of you can be anything by removing said restrictions, but then they lose kind of that framing of everything. Right. Uh, I mean, there are some people who makes it look like I think we all agree that things like the X card, which is people can object to stuff that that makes Mm -hmm. them or makes them upset, Uh, not mad, but upset. Uh, and outside their comfort zone, that stuff like that should be discussed. I mean, once again, there. Uh, I mean, uh, I remember Red uh, pointed out that uh, Iron Claw is one of the few games that says, "Okay, after the game session, let's talk about what happened a little bit in case something happened that people didn't like it." Mm-hmm. Because um, apparently, uh, we put that in the game because we noticed other games don't do that. Yeah. 
So uh, other games, if you have a player who's doing something obnoxious and is pissing off other people, um, we just don't talk about it. Yeah. yeah, and um, frequently, like, in the past, I found, like, the way that happens when people don't have a point to talk about it is that in the middle of the session, they will start an argument over it, and then the entire yeah. thing breaks down because they got upset uh, at something and had no other way to address it because as soon as the game is done, everyone's gone. Yeah, by the time it comes up, it's a problem because it can't be, can't be quiet anymore. But when you actually bring that up, you know, once again, I, I'm dipping into my personal like social contract literally a thing that i will show people when we're setting up when i'm setting up games with people i haven't played before um and on that like communication is a big part of it that's why it stood out to me in iron claw that like you know there's a there's many reasons to do a debrief in a game apart from just this issue i think it's actually like a great way for the person who's running the game to get an idea of exactly how it hit and what it is that stuck out to people because sometimes what's a problem for you went right over my head didn't even see it at the table so having yeah. like some structured time to say that to to bring up air grievances um is important and i think communication in general is like that's i i will try to start a game by saying like one of the most important things you need to know is if you have a problem you need to talk about it you can talk about it to me privately you could talk about it publicly but you need to talk about it because no one is going to know nothing's going to change until you right. get talking right and, and Rafa, you also, mentioned reading the room, of course, but, you know, if you're yeah. uh, part of reading the room might, in fact, just be asking the room, how do you feel about everything that happened? Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, I think uh, Red said it right in the head when they said social intelligence. Uh, it, it's mm -hmm. like, you know, I always assumed of a bunch of, uh, was that in this podcast, where I always assume players have low social skills in the first place? Uh, you know, they, <laughs> they might not know. Yeah. I, I mean, some people might not pick up on these cues. Mm -hmm. uh once i always repeat that often the people who sell you these role-playing games say you can do anything it's a world of imagination no you can't do any your yeah. personal group uh will will have limitation because this also gets into i, I guess a, a thing a bigger thing that I would call tone because some groups will have like a very silly tone to their game or they're here to uh you know make as many may may references as they can or something like mm -hmm. that and it's a very silly happy go lucky game other people will get involved in the game because they want like something incredibly grim, uh, yeah. where lives are on the line and the stakes can cost things. Uh, you might have something in between, but you might not. Uh, that means that if you have a certain tone, all of the characters that are brought to the table should be appropriate for that tone. You can't bring the silly character into the grim game yeah. because they're going to start bringing everybody down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, I think... Oh, it's it's interesting. I think it's interesting because I've seen um, I'm still playing with a group I've played for with for a while now, and I do think that each person has like a very different version of the events as they're playing out in their head. Right? It's interesting. Like, I think for some people it is sort of like a funny fantasy romp, and for other people they only really like come alive in the game when like the stakes are high or the Lich King shows up and it's metal AF. But uh, but yeah, I think that. In, in some way, everyone is experiencing the game through their own filter. Um, mm -hmm. But when those expectations are too separate and too far away, you run into a lot of uh, conflicts. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, because like uh, we always talk about a good GM can adapt to any player behavior. No, we have. there has to be, when I used to say there were no bad players, if people say there are bad players, there must be player behavior that's so aberrant that it's not acceptable 
mm-hmm. but you know, it's anyone. Uh, that means if we agree on that, that means we also agree that players have a responsibility to figure out what the boundaries of uh, of their play is and to stay to that. And, and I don't see that mentioned in a lot of these games that say, don't do stuff that makes other people uncomfortable. The X card is watch to see if people make stuff uncomfortable. And if they throw an X card down, stop doing it. Discuss what you But I don't see a lot of games saying, like, find out what everybody wants to do in the first place and then don't do that if they don't want you to do that. Or more appropriately, do the things they want you to do. I'll say, I think increasingly, and I'll say it's been a while since this showed up. I think it showed up in one of the more recent 5th edition books. Um, it was Tasha's Cauldron. They mentioned Session Zeros. Session Zeros are things that have existed for a while now. but um, Yeah. Uh, go, go ahead. Yeah. I, I think this is one part of what a Session Zero could be. There's a lot of definitions. But um, part of the idea of expressing up front the kind of game that you want to play and getting everyone's feedback and having that conversation before there's mm-hmm. characters involved or before there's like a plot hook involved, um, understanding like where everyone is coming from I think is has value, but again, it's only referenced as a small part of a of a, another larger rule that also or rule or like gameplay option that only has begun to get rolled into this game. How okay, like well, five years after it was released? Um, well, thirty five years, but who's counting? Um, sure, I guess <laughs> the um the uh, um I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about there are some games that have session zeros, which are the planning session before the. Game starts uh, ours magica most famously started with that and I, i've seen a couple uh, of them that um but you're also right where i think like a major failing of a session zero is, is usually when we sit down we pick okay we want to be in this place what this uh scenario that kind of stuff i don't and it's a good icebreaker because everyone discusses you know what kind of characters i think it's a good idea that ca- people don't build their characters necessarily in a vacuum then we yeah. read the room and we decide what's okay and what isn't um my usual issue with session zeros is I also what I think Red was getting, at, which is they, I mean, yes, maybe we should bring up what's appropriate, but I think they often kind of hand wave over it and they turn into like a lot of time planning uh, stuff uh, and not necessarily enough of, um, uh, you know, a, like, like a, 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 you might offer roles to players to see what they're going to do. But uh, I think the original focus I wanted to have with this was, um, Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, we, I think we all agree that there needs to be some responsibility of the players to figure out, you know, what other people want them to do. And I think yeah. a, a good planning session to read that after you're a bunch of strangers, I think, is good. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, uh, I, 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 as a design person, I'm always questioning the, the where the line is of, um, you know, uh, we have a phrase called rules endorse behavior. So, mm-hmm. like, like. I understand that no game can be for every group, but where is the line of what should be in the book and what we expect players to do? Because I think at some point the the book should be telling players what's acceptable. Uh, the big recurring yeah. issue I have, like I said right now, is that Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition says evil is acceptable. Be evil, right? But and that's a wrong thing to tell players to do if you want them to be a cooperative adventuring party. I, I, I don't, I don't. Well, the uh, it's also I don't think they want that because you, the Tyrant Queen adventure, it's completely derailed if you're evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. why did they tell you you could be evil, but they also expect you to help the populace? Because Raph, you can be anything you want to be. It's Dungeons and Dragons. 
You can be anything you want to be, as long as anything. it doesn't want to be. Yes. You can have your adventure in any color as long as it's black. That's the quote. As I long think. as I mean that that's also uh I mean that gets into like a lot like a lot lo- many of the larger problems I was talking about. Like do anything. you might get players who uh wow, this has gone on big t- you might get players who start to act out and do aberrant behavior because they want to have some agency in what the hell is going on. Yeah. Because there's uh they're they're bored or yes. they were told this was supposed to have radiant emergence and it's not happening. So we're gonna kick the darkness until it bleeds. You know, mm-hmm. something, you know, we're gonna make something happen. And yeah. um um uh and I like uh, I, I think uh, yeah we acknowledge that there's bad players for that. So I guess uh, another thing. So I guess we agree that players should have some sort of baseline behavior. What can we do to help that? So that is a really good question. I think that is the question. But before we answer that question, I just want to say that I agree. Like the current the current murder hobo philosophy for people who think murder hoboing <laughs> is bad is this idea that like yes players are not being engaged as much like a. I've done a lot of studying and reading various articles that try to address this. I think it makes a lot of sense. And even knowing that, though, I was I did do it one time since reading all of this stuff. And I think that, yeah, I think players acting out in character, at least in my experience, has a lot to do with them not engaging with the game the way maybe they were. Maybe they're supposed to. Maybe they're intended to. Right. Or just finding just like. Like you said, what do you say? Uh, kicking the darkness. Um, just till it bleeds daylight. Um, till it bleeds daylight. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, I'm an edge lord, so I say. Actually, I think I should oh, turn I this back to a little bit. We were talking about like tryhards and minimax in the previous yes. game, and the mm-hmm. problem is you can't necessarily define what that is yeah. because one person's tryhard is another person wants to succeed at the game. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. so uh, if a player is like I've often met where the where um, a group will get upset with a player because he's got too much combat power. And this too much combat power makes the rest of us upset. I mean, somehow it, it like scares them or something like that. Like, I can't believe someone came to Dungeons and Dragons and expected to kill. Um, <laughs> it, it's uh, it, it, it makes uh, it makes players nervous. Uh, or, or that they, you know, like they, they sort of nerfed the threats and aren't getting into the challenge. And so, on the one uh, earlier in the last stream, I argued that that player isn't aberrant. But now we could argue, like, okay, if the player has built a character that's making other people nervous or uncomfortable, you know, what can we do, you know, either play wise or design wise to discourage players, you know, to, to encourage players to get along with other players, to get everybody to, to work together? What do you think, Griff? I feel like I'm talking a lot. I've got an idea, but yeah. what do you think? Well, I mean, it, it is a difficult question. How do you force people to get to work together? And if I, I swear, if I had to answer that question, I would probably be out on the streets right now, all right? If you <laughs> had is... an answer to that question, you could rule the world. Oh, yeah. Or at least, you know, go go find like a third friend or something, you know? <laughs> but it it is difficult because it requires a lot of the players wanting to do that and they probably need to have the priming to form the thought that they will want to do that but if you go ahead and start off a game saying like well the gm's in control of everything he decides everything and if you don't do what he says you're wrong then the player feels like they have no agency in deciding that 
So and you especially want to avoid PC versus GM, which is still lingering out there. Of our job is to defeat the game, right? But yeah. like the entire point of like these games is that they're cooperative storytelling, but everything is framed as being around just the person who's running the game or doing the most of the work, and not at the players who are there and that they have that responsibility. Hmm. So I think maybe no, just the reframing of RPGs in general probably would be like a good first step to go for so at least people think in that direction rather than taking it entirely off of themselves yeah i think i know uh that raf is a little lukewarm about dungeon world and maybe it's just top of mind <laughs> because it's like the most recent book that i've been You're reading just so excited lately. about it i know oh, the feeling all, yeah. i know that's why we have different panelists we have a different game yeah <laughs> so um but i'll tell you and i don't think it's flawless but it does do a couple things that jumped out at me when I was reading it and running it that I thought was very interesting. Um, as much as it is uh, simplified and abstracted, it is, I think, it presents more clear boundaries to players at the start of the game. And in some ways, in uh, an attempt to simplify and, and uh, streamline play and making characters and stuff. But there's also things that are built in that uh, I guess you could look at as taking power away from the players, but I think they also help build expectations in interesting right. ways. Oh, right? I would completely agree. Yeah, I think the, um, and this is kind of like, I saw this, uh, Fiasco is another game that starts out this, where when you make your character, one aspect of that is their relationship to the other characters at the table. You're not mi- building a character in vacuum. Fiasco, we're supposed to like get into. So, I, I, yeah. I think there are actually a couple of systems where when you're, building your characters as a group, you kind of forge those relationships in general. Yeah. I'm trying to remember which systems did that because they're not immediately coming to my head, but I know well, there are a few out there that do say, hey, look at this person and say one thing where you're related to them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, no, there's there's game like have a personal connection. Isn't Dungeon World one of those where you're supposed to have a personal connection? It you is. start with at least one connection to another party member. Yeah, mm-hmm. and well, well, what I like about it, too, is that it's not a passive thing. It's not like, a, oh, you guys have to tie your backstories together. It's active in the sense that you're creating a dynamic that is like a question without an answer. It's like, oh, I think that this person might be, uh, might be, uh, you know, has an, a magical item. That's not a good example. Um, I think this person has potential. I'm a wizard, and this person showed up in one of my magical divinations or something like that. So I think there's something special about them, right? There are these... They're like goals in Ironclaw, similar in that at the end of the session, you say, hey, have we completed, have we explored this bond? And if you did, you get experience for that, and then you pick a new bond with that player, right? And then the number of bonds you have with another character is a stat. You will add that to dice rolls when you're assisting or trying to interfere with something they're doing. So that's interesting. encourages it. The bonds first showed up in in, in the apocalypse world. Yeah, it's the idea that you pick another player or whatever, and then you write down your relationship with them. And then when you do things to help them, you get a bonus. Yeah. Uh, and it so can be antagonistic too, but I think it does get people thinking about yeah, their that, role that's in the part. Kind of down on it is when it's antagonistic. Unfortunately, it's from yeah. Apocalypse World, so it can also be antagonistic. <laughs> thought was. But not... at the same time, antagonistic characters are part of storytelling. And, but we just talked about like having the evil character. It's, it's hard well, to have a good Vegeta at the table. Mm-hmm. And it's also like if you expect that and you know that's coming, that's fine. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, um, you know, if you expect, uh, I'm. Uh, I think the the real issue uh, comes up where like like you don't want players doing that. Like uh, I always use the computer games as jealousy. Like 
Um, I can't go into World of Warcraft and burn down the gnome village. Right. I, I can't do it. Yeah, I'm not. This is not an area, Warcraft, honestly. Yeah, where I'm yeah. allowed. NPCs, my sword just flies through them and doesn't even connect. I am not permitted to do this aberrant behavior because even if I was mad and I really wanted to do it, uh, it would disrupt the game for other people. I'm not mm-hmm. not even going to permit this. And whereas right. in a role playing game, we never say that. We never say yeah. you're not allowed to kill the innkeeper. I mean, maybe a GM might say that, but everyone would look at you like like you were confused. Which, if you think about it, it's a little weird, isn't it? That we allow this behavior in some games, but not others? Well, it's part I, yeah, of the because, point, right? It's the yeah, fantasy it's, thing. You do whatever you want. It, it, it's a game where you can define everything because you are trying in some way to replicate a world and saying, like, well, you literally can't swing your sword at this person is an odd thing to say. Well, you that's why I'm getting to in the first like, place. The player behavior, like at some level, we do expect the players to, once we've established the baseline, we do expect the players to, you know, you're supposed to be a member of a party and also live in a society. So we don't want you to ruin the entire campaign by being an asshole just because you felt like it. And most importantly, this is one of my favorite jokes we used to tell. I am role playing. I'm role playing an asshole. Exactly. It's what my character would do. It's yeah. the book says I can be it. Right, which, you know, is an interesting philosophy issue. It's like, didn't you make this character? So I just wrote down I'm an asshole, and now I can do whatever I want because I wrote down I'm an asshole. Uh, yeah. And, and yep. for many games, like, everyone's always telling me, like, well, what about this kind of game? That it might be a game for some fringe games, but for many games, this would derail the game mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. and, and upset it. Like, if I play Tyrant Queen and I said, oh, well, I'm evil, I just stab the mission leader when he's giving us the mission because I'm right here. Uh, yeah. and even know. saying like if you do like allow this like weird fight to happen it's like all right so we got four hours of this game session <laughs> and we're yeah. gonna have a one hour combat about this yeah, in fact th- thank you for reminding me also it's like com- and of course every game makes combat a slow tedious affair yeah. so if a player starts a combat that suddenly derails the game for 30 to 45 minutes if you're lucky because yeah. they wanted to do a combat we all have to roll initiative and then some players might complain that they're not there Oh, in the secret board. corner here. Literally, I, I play every session for uh, one hour of combat. It's <laughs> oh my god! And I've seen the snowballing effect where one player decides to start a fight. Like I hate this NPC. Oh. I just draw my sword and kill it. As soon as they do that, two or three other players perk up and said, "I heard initiative rolls." Oh yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm they want to fight. It. That's what they're here for. And we call that ringing the bell. I'm in. And I always side with this player. Suddenly a huge bloodbath breaks out and you're sitting there as the game master thinking, okay, I was trying to tell this nice story of plot and intrigue and, and social politicals. And now my players have committed basically an unwarranted genocide. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we would have to agree that that player shouldn't do that. And that's where we would have to say like, look, mm-hmm. should we let them do that, derail the game and turn it into a bloody genocide and throw the rest of the adventure out, which will upset and frustrate the game master. Or should we explain to the player, this is behavior that is unacceptable, and we all agree that unacceptable behavior should not be in. The game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because it's... that never happens in the performative games. That doesn't oh, happen no. in critical role. No, that's true. Right, um, because right. as we mentioned, they're actors, and the show must go on. Their focus on making sure it goes on. Yeah, I tried. I mean, personally, a lot of this is maybe treating the symptoms instead of the disease, but it's what it's what we've got in a lot of cases. I, I'm still interested in the greater question of like, how do we 
explain to people getting into the hobby like that there are things you just should be aware of that maybe you shouldn't do or think before you do but i I think that like a lot of what i will do will be like okay you're about to you know cut the the finger the trigger finger off of this guy who is you know he's a prince and he was an evil prince but what you're about to do is going to make life really really hard so we're going to pause the action and we're going to just take a vote from everyone at the table is everyone okay with this? Like, is everyone interested in, in, uh, GM you know, gets next card too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, oh, um, geez. yeah, well, I'm talking about like, I don't think it's a given that players, uh, are supposed to have restraints on their behavior. I mean, like even the session zero is just a planning session. I, I, I think it's a given that the GM can use fiat to do things, but I don't really think any games that sound explains to the player. Okay. We're all going to be, you know, adventurous and be a political theme. So stick to that and don't do other things that might derail that. I don't think we ever just tell the players, you will not be doing certain things. Uh, uh, I keep complaining. Alignment has been nerfed to the point where it does nothing. Like you don't even tell a player, sorry, your character is goodly aligned. You wouldn't do this. And even if you did say that, characters just changed their alignment to neutral and not, we, we don't see that. What's the difference between the chaotic neutral rogue and the chaotic evil one? What's I mean? What's the difference between the chaotic good rogue and the chaotic evil one when well, they're that's doing cool. what they're doing anyway? They're going to do exactly. whatever. They no, I, I, the I, they do the same actions. I, I think I think we're all in agreement here that we should have some level of transparency in explaining to, uh, to players what the theme is of the game. And and like I said, I've come to bury the idea that uh, um, the games have never been about you can do. We already discussed tryhardism where. Even if you can make your character into a minimax monster, uh, you know, with extremely high numbers, that will make some of the other players upset, reduce their enjoyment. Having a character that has numbers like that makes people upset. You know, is this the hill you want to die on? You would probably reduce those numbers. So we're agreeing that behavior might not be acceptable for your group. I think we should just be upfront to players and say, you know, uh, don't do things that will... You can change the story, and we can have radiant stories, but don't do things that are disrupt play to the point where we would have to eject. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's as simple as just saying, like, so, uh, you know, if your character does something that the other characters in the party would not tolerate, they're going to exit the story. You're going to have to roll a new character, because I'm not running this game well, and just uh, well, every game for you. I, I think it's a little more complicated than that because you have to like def- tell them what is acceptable. Like I said, the right. problem is is that people come into the game, okay, and they've played Grand Theft Auto. Mm. Grand Theft, which is massively multiplayer. So when they come into the game and you say, oh, a murder hobo, like Grand Theft Auto. All right, let's shoot some cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, like you haven't necessarily made it clear that's not what happened. So, the I mean, funny thing is, know. even Grand Theft Auto has the problem trying to get people to be interested in its semi-gritty, dramatic storytelling, and literally made three different characters to try to separate out that from the crazy guy who literally goes around on murder hobo rampages. They, they had to put a guy in that and give them both yeah, characters. They had to they put a guy in that role to represent what players want to do the most, and then put the dramatic stuff on the side. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, um... Uh, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think the game, if if the GM if the GM doesn't find, it, I also think the game needs to define it because, like, for example, in Dungeons and Dragons, you are in a party. 
The default yeah. situation is raising your party. You're not in a vampire clan that is joined together with other clans and behaves well with other people because you all have a detent uh, cold war going on. You know, that's what vampires yeah. say. Dean yeah. says, we're all adventurers together in a party. That means that the very baseline, very game itself should have text in it that says, you will be in a party and you will be expected to get along. At least Dungeon World does that. Yeah. Right, so, at least one line like that would be very good. Yeah, we have to we have to explain to players, you know, like we you Red talked about social intelligence. I think what we need to do is we need to take the stuff that these actors have in, you know, uh on critical role and stuff like that and start looking at what training do they did they give the actors and then put notes on that in the game. Here's the director, you all get along, you have some freedom but not a lot of freedom, try to have fun with it. You know, right. you evoked a vampire and it reminded me that vampire does has their own maybe not solution but approach um at least the fifth edition one where you have uh your chronicle tenants right which is basically a loosely defined set of uh don'ts that the characters within their coterie their their party adhere to which i think is kind of brilliant yeah no i need to look this up that's great yeah, yeah, so so they don't have that in Requiem Second Edition because it came out first. But if they've started adding that and they'll do that as they move forward, that's great because I think that's probably one of the problems with Vampire. Because when you have four people who want to do their own thing, they're yeah. technically in that coterie, but theoretically they go off and do their own thing. Did did, did I do the joke about not curing AIDS yet? Uh, oh yeah, no, <laughs> not yet. Do it to us. Yeah, so, so in the 2003 edition of World of Darkness, they had this little sidebar that says, don't let your players cure AIDS. Mm-hmm. It's like, what? And then, you know, speaking of behavior that's appropriate, like, don't let them cure AIDS, that would disrupt the campaign too much. It's like, right. that, 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 that sort of came out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad to see that they've, like, refined it a little bit, because because I'm sure they put that in there because there's some obnoxious player showed up and said, I have like academics five and craft five. I want to make a, exactly. uh, the, you know, HIV cure right now. Yeah. Uh, Dude, let's and, do the adventure about the vampire that wants to cure AIDS. That'll be great. 10, yeah, 20, was, 10, 20 sessions, you think? Right. But, but I mean, like it was a weird, like I can understand that that might disrupt a lot of people's campaigns, but mm-hmm. it was a weird thing to put in there of like, but like that's the only boundary advice they're giving us. So I'm glad they've gone. I need to look up what this new Chronicle Tenants is. Because yeah, Chronicle Tenants. Reed Richards has to be useless. They're, they might not... It, let me see if they I can't, can't describe them a little bit, because I think they're very interesting in Vampire specifically, because ostensibly it is a game where you are playing monsters. So right away, it's that thing of like, you know, we are we are drinking people's bloods. We're very literal parasites. So we're already right. kind of evil, but like, where are those lines? And you come up with this list of rules together. And those lines also are not, um, they have mechanical repercussions. So it's the kind of thing where it's like, you're not out of the game if your character breaks these rules, but it does mean your character loses their humanity and there's a whole system associated with that too. But through having these conversations, you're kind of telling your party like, what do we do? Like, what what don't we do? What is what well, is too evil for our evil party to consider? Mm-hmm. See, you had the nail right on the head there where you had humanity. Because if you start doing things in Vampire that are considered too evil, you lose humanity points. Humanity yeah. points have the ultimate uh, penalty, which is you get killed or removed from play. Yeah, right, if you go down too low, anymore. you're not a character anymore. You're insane. And, 
And one thing that's always troubled me about a lot of these games is how abstract they are. I mean, to bring up Grand Theft Auto again, Grand Theft Auto has such contempt for the player for understanding that obvious crime will get them in trouble. They put in the star system. So they're right. telling you right there on the screen, you are in trouble. And and this trouble will bring more down upon you. And I always wondered why we didn't do that more often in role-playing. Because in role-playing, you just assume that players understand that they're in trouble. We just assume they somehow get this. Whereas, like, obviously, Grand Theft Auto doesn't think people do. Yeah. So, because that's there why is... in, a, in the cyberpunk game we made in Bleeding, you know, Bleeding Edge, we wanted people... We wanted people to commit crime, but we didn't want them to be too obvious about it because what we call the shadow run problem where, you know, you're just blowing up places with bazookas. So we added uh, the profile system, which is basically a star system, and it's right there on your sheet where you can see it. Yeah. And I think when you look at, like, the way most RPGs handle it, it's like as soon as one player gets into trouble, all of them start that fight and genocide the whole town. It's like it's not just one guard, like, takes you to the drunk tank for an hour, God forbid. It, yeah. it is now you are fugitives of the entire state. There is well, no escalation. I, speaking of exceptionalism, I have seen some players, like, once again, to use Grand Theft Auto as an example of this, you don't die or go to prison in Grand Theft Auto. If yeah, the you just police go put enough... Yeah, if the police put enough bullets in your body, then you collapse and you wake up in the hospital with half your cash, I think, uh, and you still have all of your possessions. I think it's even more forgiving in five, if I recall right. And and each iteration gets more forgiving, so there actually isn't any penalty for it, whereas you know, a a game, a a tabletop role-playing, can't necessarily do that, and and, you you can't just fade to black and say like you expect repercussions. I mean, that's what I get out when I was going to talk a lot about exceptionalism. I have met players who came to the table who would murder every NPC, like even if it was a named NPC, if they finally defeated them in the combat, bullet to the brain because they hated these guys. But mm-hmm. if they themselves, their own character took enough damage to go down, and I told them, well, they knocked you unconscious, they just throw you in the river and let you drown. I've had some of these players like argue with me saying, oh no, they should kidnap me or something like that. It's like, why would they do that? You would do that. Play the game. Yeah. Right. Well, but the player, you know, said, I, he came, said, I'm a player character. Yeah. And it's like, I have to stop and think about that. It's like, well, you know, he, he's not wrong. Other games like computer games, like, you know, Elder Scrolls and Grand Theft Auto would, you know, let him continue using the same character. They wouldn't take him out of play. So that's why I think we need to establish before we get started, you know, we're not going to let you, you, you can't have it, you can't have the tabletop game be both all behavior is permitted, but also you're an exceptional gamer object that we want punish for your crime. It's kind of like you know, either the game is realistic and what you do is timeline repercussions that can't be erased, or we need to just ban this behavior in the first place, like we're a video, like World of Warcraft, because, um, you know, we can't let you do it because if we did let you do it, it would derail the story. And, right, and being that, more explicit, it would be very good within the text of the games, I think. Yeah, and, and tell the players this in advance. You can't just do whatever you want because yeah. we're, we're trying to be more serious than Grand Theft Auto. We're not, we're trying to not eat four hot dogs and shrug off and you You actually cannot seduce the bear. It's a bear. <laughs> I... I do think it needs to be it needs to be explicit. It needs to be above the table. I think there is a there is a pitfall trap DC 
18 there where when you you know your murder hobos kill a guy and then you send soldiers after them or you throw them in jail and they feel like oh great we're being punished because we didn't want to because the gm is now trying to railroad us right like ideally in a perfect world you could create this beautiful simulation reality where just their their actions carry realistic consequences but unfortunately I think a lot of that would go over a lot of people's heads too. Like in the Grand Theft Auto example, where it's just like, no, you need to be upfront. You need to tell them, like, hey, listen, I think you're I'm right how bad this gets. I, I, yeah, I guess the summary coming with this is: did we did we ever tell them that? Because people yeah. are saying, well, isn't it obvious? It's like, no, I've people play Grand Theft. Mm-hmm. This wouldn't be obvious to a gamer if, if mm-hmm. they if they came to the table after watching all the silliness and acquisitions incorporated, or after mm-hmm. watching a playthrough of Grand Theft Auto. This is a game. Why would they think this would be any different? We would have to establish that. So mm-hmm. I think we're just all in agreement here that uh, we do need to establish player boundaries. And like I said, there's a bug I have in my butt. You know, just because a player can do something doesn't mean they should. Player behavior, players should, you know, restrict their own actions and try and work within the framework. Yeah. I, right. I think it's interesting because we completely dodged talking about GM responsibility here but i also think there's been so much that has been said about that already i i I mean uh um yeah i mean we could talk i think we should talk about gm responsibility but we all agree that gms shouldn't be killer gms but that's what i want to talk about is like players like like it's always i'm sick and tired of blaming the gm because the gm already has a lot of hard work to do and and uh the gm is supposed to be good and responsible but then has to be to a bunch of amoral murder babies <laughs> uh, right uh, it, it's kind of like if we accepted the gm and i've also seen people asking about like gm games, where people say well what why don't we because since the gm has to do all of the work and has to be the babysitter and do all that mental stress what if we had a game where no one was the GM? it's like well if you had a game where no one was the gm then you better believe that the players are going to have things they're allowed to do and not allowed to do or this yeah. is going to be a really short game yeah, the player in that case, you then have to be incredibly explicit about what responsibilities the players have at the table. Otherwise, without someone who is socially obligated to rein everyone else in, it may just be a complete farce. Yeah. Well, in that case, it's like you don't have anyone to blame. The group just falls apart, right? It's just <laughs> yeah, everyone well, gets to go. Oh my god, that's exactly what we want, right? Right. Exactly. That's what I always say. There's no bad games. It's just games that. Have- trouble getting players to show up mm-hmm. uh and and also we all we we've also agreed that since a lot of this might be social intelligence cues that people might not pick up if they read the room we need to be open and communicate about that yeah. because it can easily happened that everyone came to the table with different expectations i've seen it where the one player who did all the aberrant behavior that derailed the game and escalated the violence and gotten in bigger fights the other players resent that that player keeps getting into fights and derailing all of their time that one player, you know, is confused because they're playing the game as the way they understand it's supposed to be played. So they understand where they're being singled out and punished. The game master gets tired of this because, like, what they wanted to run at all. Everyone walks away and everyone is blaming everyone else for why it was upset without just establishing that base. And, and, yeah. and that's what I worry about. That You don't see that in discussion. You know, when those people walk away and go to subtweet about this, they'll all say a different story without addressing the thing in the room which was we never established the baseline of what we 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 never just said pcs are not allowed to do this or we will reject them yeah yeah 
I'm thinking of now I'm picturing like an in the bamboo grove Rashomon style <laughs> like short story of a uh, a game falling apart from the perspective of all the different, you know, there's the barbarians take, there's the well, rogues take. Well, I remember Iron <laughs> for initiative. Exactly. Hey, exactly. That that would be fun. Everyone's the hero of their fun. own story. So, yeah. uh, and that's also why I say, you know, there no bad players because no player admits to being bad. Hmm. Um, yeah. uh, uh, I admit it, it I'm terrible. <laughs> well, except for Griff. We all can agree that Griffin Exactly. Yeah. I'm the we reason your games on. fall apart. Blame me. It was me all alone. We need to retitle this podcast. Griffin's the word. Ah, there, there you go. go. Alright, so any concluding statements here, do you think? Or was that conclusive enough? What do you think? I feel Red? pretty good. I feel like this is a con- this is a conversation we actually kind of like came to a natural conclusion point on mm-hmm. before our time ran out. I mean, we 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 all agree uh, on this sort of thing, but I also mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, really, what I would hope that that when future generations watch this podcast, they would take away from it that it's like no, it, it's it's uh, you know, I really was want a kibosh idea that players are allowed to do whatever they want or even what the book says they can. Because I, I think, uh, mm. especially because I've been championing the last three or four podcasts of saying, stop blaming the players forever. But now here I am in this podcast saying, mm. okay, as a player, you know, I just told everyone to stop blaming you. Now, don't be <laughs> Yeah. Uh, when people are watching this in the far future at their uh, future schools and their hover desk, you know, just, just take the words of wisdom from Rafferty. Blame everybody. Blame everybody. I, I will add that it's, I think, at the end of the day, personal responsibility. You're not playing, you're not playing Grand Theft Auto. You're not playing a single player video game or an MMO where you can be cooperative or not, however you feel in the moment. They're social games. You need to be aware and make sure it's your responsibility that everyone else at the table is having fun. And that's not just for game masters. That's for literally every person at the table. Right. I mean, I've been getting more pro performative. It's like I'm, I, I'm kind of down on these like critical role streams, but it's also like if you want your game to be more like that. Because mm-hmm. people are asking about that Mercer effect, then you have to make your players into actors who respect the director. Because mm-hmm. if you want to get those awesome things you see in Dimension 20 and Critical Role, you all have to become more like actors and directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. We I guess my conclu- skill and we can train you. Yeah. And my concluding remark would be just just don't be a dick, everybody. Don't don't don't, don't do it. That's generally <laughs> that's in general true. Good words yeah. to buy. So I think uh, for today, that's going to be it for this episode of Notes from the Aleph. We stream episodes bi-weekly Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern. You can join us live at twitch.tv slash Ractus. We also stream and record weekly tabletop games at the same channel. You can come join us when we start at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sundays and Wednesdays. Norman Rafferty here is a partner and writer for Sanguine Games. Check out sanguinegames.com and join us on Reddit and Twitter. And look forward to the upcoming Book of Coral's Iron Claw expansion book where you can engage your own pirate adventure. Don't forget to check out Red Rabbit and book him for a game over at startplayinggames.com as Oracular Pig. Be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and come see us all again. For now, goodbye, everybody.